0: Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows Family Fun.
1: Guys, we are fired up to be at the 13th annual Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Festival happening on March 2nd to the 5th at the OC Fair and Event Center in Costa Mesa tackle fishing reports fishing boats amazing seminars everything's going to be at this show make sure not to miss this one plus we're going to have a booth for the doc talk podcast recording live podcasts throughout the day so make sure you stop by not to mention we are giving away a show package at cca 60 dollars gets you entry to the show a tote bag one year membership to cca and loaded whip with goodies from our sponsors Be sure to check us out. Check out that show package at ccacalifornia.org. Register today for it or stop by the CCA booth outside the show whenever you go to the show and take advantage. We'll see you guys there. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the CCA California Podcast. My name is Chris, alongside Mr. Kevin Nakata. Kevin, what's good, man? How are you?
2: Well, we're finally back here again, starting a new year.
1: I know. Happy New Year. You've, it's been a while since you've been on. I know. Good to have you back. Yeah.
2: Hopefully, I get to be in here a little more. No promises.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of a good thing and... a yeah, it's a good thing that you're not here because that means you're out there uh, working. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks.
2: <laughs> I think
0: that's where he was going with it. He always brings the best guests when I'm gone, too. So it's like, you
1: know.
2: Well, well
0: yeah. okay. Well, hold on a second, though. <laughs> it's not like we don't tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'll take responsibility. I will. <laughs> yeah, Awesome. Alongside him, we've got Darren Kraut. Darren, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. You know, I think you have the same exact answer every week. How but are you? That's when are because you have always the bad? Exact
0: same question every week. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, a, that,
1: that's a fair point. But
0: no, it's uh, it's good. We've had a good start to the year. Got good
1: things going. So I agree. I agree. Well, let's uh, let's get started here. We've got Nate from Pacific Coast Bait and Tackle. Nate, good to see you, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. Absolutely. I know we were just talking uh, right before we kicked it on here about how fishing just kind of it, it's just so and so right now just because of this weather
3: yeah you know it's typical wintertime stuff you know i've mm-hmm. been trying as hard as i can to get out there and do some fishing but mm-hmm. it's been a lot more fishing than catching in the past couple of months for sure
1: yeah that's understandable <laughs> well at least you're getting out there fishing i'm trying
3: you know yeah, yeah.
1: can
2: almost fish in the streets right now it's so flooded <laughs> a high tide a king tide and a nice flood in from one of the rivers yeah you'd be fishing right on the street yeah yeah it's Crazy. Well, it's what coming you- no yeah? <laughs> salmon are gonna be coming up, you know, into yeah. San Diego
0: soon. It
2: seems like it the, actually, mm. did you see that? No. Did What's you that? see did you see the salmon that were around oh, our yeah. area?
3: Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. actually, we have to talk
2: I about that. 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 We have pretty talk crazy. Yeah, that. we do, because yeah. I didn't see that. You didn't? Nope. We'll have to talk about that. We'll have to introduce Nate first. All the so. fresh water
1: and stuff. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, quick question before we get started. With all of this rain, all this weather that we've had in the wintertime, I know we're not meteorologists or anything like that, but do you guys remember any effects that from a year like this year so far that it's going to be having 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 on fishing later down the road in the spring and summer? Um,
3: You know, it depends on which fishery you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, as, at least for the lakes, I think this is going to be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the lakes recently, I've noticed, have been at really really low levels. Um, you know, I live in Oceanside, and I, I used to go down and, and fish San Vicente Reservoir all mm-hmm. the time. 2021 was a phenomenal year, mm-hmm. um, and the later half of 2020 when they reopened it on um, the lake was at like 87 percent the fish were extremely healthy um and it was a really great fishery um right now it's sitting right at 55 56 percent which impacts the lake you know it's a lot mm-hmm. smaller uh the fish i've seen are kind of emaciated um that comes with the time of year but with mm-hmm. all of this influx of freshwater i think it would really really help the freshwater population a lot mm-hmm. um but we'll see how they manage the water. You know, the, the water management is huge. I don't know. I As fishermen, unfortunately, we're pretty low on the totem pole when it comes to, like, water management and when it comes to, like, um, I guess the upkeep of our reservoirs. That's because mm-hmm. the government's here to help you. <laughs> yeah. but uh, Well, you make a
2: we'll good see. point. Like, we're not exactly the first people that are considered for fluc- water fluctuations. They're not trying to keep it consistent for the sake of the bass or the fishermen or the trout or whatever animals in there. They're really focused on retaining the water levels so that no one gets flooded behind the, the dams. So it is tough. It's a very tough thing to manage. I, I don't think they do it well because like you said, we're not thought of first. So, yeah, there's lots to improve on for sure.
1: Well, but. thank you, Darren. We're uh, we managed three minutes into this podcast without a uh, political reference. <laughs> so, thank you.
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: yes, yes. But there's still plenty of time so, to go.
0: But okay, well, uh oh. Answer answer this: How does a state in the middle of the desert,
3: Arizona, not have a water problem?
2: They, they do a water. Currently, currently
3: having a water problem. Are they? Yes. The Colorado River is at historic lows, so it's like Mead. Um, so
0: it's it's an issue, Okay, right? But I mean they're they're not uh, they're not as, they're having it as bad as what they say we are having. Oh, they're having it worse than we're having it. I mean, I know Mead's down, but I haven't heard anything about them being in an actual.
2: Okay, let me just tell you how bad it is. So they actually pulled out all the rangers from managing the launch ramps because no one's going to them because they're a mile down.
0: Right. I That's
2: that. crazy. no one can go to the lake because there's no ramps going to the lake anymore there's it's a half mile down below the ramp Mm -hmm. wow so there's nothing to launch in that's bad that that, there's never been this low since the creation of the hoover dam there's this YouTube account,
3: yeah, Sin City Outdoors. I've been following them. The guy went been... from twenty thousand followers to like over what half million now. Yeah, but it's, I mean, he's been showing, he's been reporting, you know, Lake Mead, the water levels, like yeah. weekly updates on it. It's amazing. All Just the bodies all being these, found. the yes. bodies, the boats, all of this stuff being uncovered. That lake is insane, and yeah. it shows me like how dangerous it can be on some of those big desert lakes when those winds pick up. Mm-hmm. Like capsizing is a real risk and yep. I mean, at least like on the bay you know in san diego and stuff that's never a thought mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy do
1: yeah, you do was, a lot of freshwater fishing mate
3: i was really into it for a few years yeah i have a little really? lund i have a 17 foot uh center console lund uh, or sorry um deep v lund um mm-hmm. That's a cool boat. Awesome little boat for fishing the lakes, the bays, and stuff. Um, I've done some, you know, venturing outside the harbor to fish like the kelp beds and stuff. But being aluminum and being real light, it slaps when you mm. kind of start yeah. getting into some, yeah. some weather. But in terms of like, you know, fair water, flat weather fishing, it's fantastic. Oh yeah,
2: but um, seventeen
3: foot, seventeen seventy five, so almost eighteen. That's cool. Yeah, really yeah. Cool
2: But it's a. It's got a basic. It's not a. Um, it doesn't have like a bass fishing, bass platform where you have a giant front um, standing platform, right? It's more
3: of like a... It's more of like a hybrid. So right. It's like it, a walleye boat. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. like a walleye boat. They're super popular up in the north because yep. of walleye fishing. And, and it, it does handle the weather well, but it's not meant for like ocean swells. You right? Know? But um, yeah, no, bass fishing has been really fun. I was really into the finesse scene for a while. You know, like I had some of my friends... Um, really into the big bass, like throwing the swim baits and stuff at Poway and some of these other trophy lakes. But um, I got a kick out of figuring out how to catch, you know, mid to larger size fish on like light line mm. and you know drop shotting. Figuring out all the different worms and stuff. Split shot. Yeah, you stitching. know, but I, yeah, s- stitching, especially. You know, Bill Murphy wrote mm-hmm. a book um, in pursuit of giant bass. That was like my bible. No, oh, yeah. that like three times. That's so great. It's insane. It is probably the most comprehensive fishing book I've ever read in my life.
2: Yeah, I would agree. For bass fishing, it definitely, even it's like even past that, it definitely teaches you the behavior and the mentality of these territorial fish. And it, it tells you a lot of, uh, even moon phases and stuff like that. It's a really oh, interesting
3: huge. book. Yeah. It's. Not not just bass fishing though. It's how to target trophy fish. Right. Like what mentality you need to have in order to target the biggest fish. Right. right. And it goes into halibut fishing, or it goes into tuna fishing, or it goes into big white sea bass, bass fishing. Yeah, white bass. sea bass. All right. this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? You have to be able to slow yourself down, and think through the whole process and refine without any success. Until you hit hat you know, hit this huge jackpot. Right. It's really it's really cool. But it's a different kind of fishing than going out there and catching thirty bass in a day. It's what, true. What book was that again? That was um Pursu- In Pursuit of Giant Bass. It's a hilarious title. But gets the point
1: across. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I'm writing it down right now. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get started here, Nate. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Give us yeah. background, the story, the Nate story.
3: Yeah, um, grew up in San Diego, uh, and honestly, I was pretty lucky with who my dad was. Uh, he grew up in uh, Santa Monica, growing up um, fishing on the Santa Monica boats. He grew up in the pinhead kind of deckhanding. Uh, yeah, um, on the Betty O, especially got his captain's license. Started doing the um, the three quarter day runs with the Spitfire. And this was all in like the late 70s, early 80s. And then went down to San Diego, worked um, the Pronto and the Grande. Some of those Mm -hmm. boats and going to school the whole time. Super smart guy. And he transferred that into his fishing. He's real cerebral in the way that he kind of looks at it. You know, every fishing opportunity, like even if they're not biting, there's something that you can change to get them to bite. That's kind of his whole ideology. Mm -hmm. But after that, he joined the Marine Corps. He did this big shift. He got out of the fishing industry. Um, and was and was a Marine for over 20 years and um, nice. introduced me into fishing and took me out on one half day trip when I was like eight and that's all I needed like after that <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew that it was going to be something I did for the rest of my life like mm-hmm. it was so much fun and I've thought about like why you know like why was I so drawn to it and I think at that point I was either seven or eight years old and for the first time like it was I was just kind of in this freeing environment where like everything else up until this point had been so kind of restrictive you know like daycare and school and i was in scouts or whatever but once you get on the half day boat it's like where do you want to fish anywhere mm-hmm. where do you want to use anything have a yeah. good time you know it was just like i could just run around the boat chatting with all these old dudes and like catching fish all day was the most fun thing i'd ever done in my life so since you know from then i just started going on different local party trips um building my way up from half day to three-quarter day to overnight and eventually got into the long range scene
1: nice was this all as like a little kid or whatever or
3: just kind of growing up growing up yeah this was through years you know like i i was through like 9 10 11 12 i was just doing single day trips and then i think when i was like 13 or 14 i did my first like two day and then by when i was 15 or 16 my dad as like my graduation present from no no yeah it must have been 14 because i graduated from high school and then we did a five day Oh wow! That was like a huge moment for me. That was like
1: so. It was like a 14, 15 year fifteen-year-old. You're on a five-day. Yeah. On a, wow. How on the vagabond? How was that? Like amazing. <laughs> uh, as a kid, like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
3: it, insane. It was super cool, and that trip especially was the best one to do because uh-huh. that was the Penn University trip. It was five days on the vagabond at the end of July, or maybe it was the first week of August. But it was with Steve Carson, and it was like this. Come on out, we'll show you how to fish, and we'll have, you know, like, make sure you have a good time. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. The first year, that was 2014, so it was, like, one of the original years when the bluefin were, like, really up here heavy. Yeah. And we spent the whole five days in American waters. Yeah. And it was amazing fishing, dude. It was still some of the best bluefin fishing I've had. On school, great stuff. Like, the big ones weren't around yet, but as, like, a little 14-year-old, getting into tuna fishing for the first time, it was nuts. What year was that?
2: 2014.
3: Okay. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> you're
2: 15? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're 23. Is that right? 24, 23.
1: Yes. We were all doing the math in our yeah. head. Kevin just had to <laughs> Finally, man. To it. <laughs> I mean, look, look at how many 20 year
2: olds are coming on this podcast now, you know? I know. So, it's pretty crazy. We are old.
1: Yeah. Nah, that's true. Starting Don't off,
2: that. Starting off the year saying that again.
1: Yeah. The first time uh, in 2013 or 2023. Oh, yeah. I am old. So would you consider yourself kind of like a product of the Penn University? Absolutely. Yeah. So like before
3: that, I was fishing uh, in terms of reels, mostly Abbott. You know, okay. Because at the time, that was kind of the big brand. Um, and after going on those trips, obviously, they made it, I made it a tradition of going on that one trip. I would mm-hmm. I'd work a little job. I was working in and out once I turned 16, and I would save up money to keep going on these trips.
2: That's cool. Um nice.
3: And the Penn University really kind of got me into the whole Penn thing. Very quickly after that I realized how good the Fathoms were mm-hmm. for the price and started selling the Abbots and slowly transitioning into the
1: Fathoms. And now I'm I'm 100 percent Penn. Nice. I mean, what makes a Penn University trip a Penn University trip? Is oh, it yeah. a lot of a lot of teaching from from Mr. Carson there?
3: You know, it's not like, you know, he gives seminars or anything, but mm-hmm. he brings on almost a hundred oh. demo outfits. For wow. everybody on the boat to try, That's it's like cool. literally the whole upper deck is just lined with outfits from fifteen pound to hundred pound. And mm-hmm. if you want to try something out, you know, if you don't have a, you know, if you need an extra twenty five pound setup, if you want to try a popper, you know, with a big spinning rail, go ahead. It's there for you to experiment with. It's there for you to try out. Um, and I think in terms of you know getting people into the brand and getting people to look at pen more as like a a legit kind of option, right. it's been phenomenal.
1: Mm. Wow. That's unreal. Have you ever, have you guys ever been on one of those trips? No. 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 Very cool. Kind of intrigued recommend. now.
3: Mm. Is it only one boat? No, no, he does a whole bunch. So he does the, it's all the boats that are sponsored by Penn. So the ones that I can know at the top of my head would be the American Angler, the Vagabond. Um, I believe the Pacifica, but
1: I don't know how many open party trips they are. The Searcher mm. maybe? The Searcher, definitely. Yeah. 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 I think I remember that. Wow, that's that's unreal. I mean, I've only heard about those trips and all that. And I know Steve is just a legend and all that. But just kind of getting a glimpse as to what actually goes on. It's amazing.
3: Yeah. And it's it's just, you know, he's a really nice guy. He's always there to help, but he's never going to kind of push you Mm -hmm. to use pen to, you know, use any of his products. He's just there to to have a good time. and, And he's a phenomenal fisherman himself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into Penn. I know there's quite a bit of uh, some big news from last year at ICAST. I know I know the, uh, I guess, the revamp of the of the Fathom and all that. Mm-hmm. Super popular reel. Tell us a little bit about it.
3: Yeah. So um, the Fathom, you know, we were just talking about it. Amazing workhorse reel. It's been my kind of go-to for all of the spark boat or really any saltwater fishing applications for the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a big upgrade to it. Well, not a big upgrade, but they finally did an upgrade to it. Um, to change some some basic parts about it, mostly aesthetic. So it's going to be silver now instead of the original powder-coated black. Um, The other bigger difference is going to be the handle and the two-speed construction. So the handle is now going to be the same as all the internationals. So it's going to be that T handle. Right. You know, I think it's going to be great for live bait fishing. For most applications, people really like that kind of handle. Um, For the small reels and for, like, throwing jigs and stuff, I kind of like the other egg. You know, because you can mm-hmm. grab it from either orientation. With the T handle, you have to grab it a certain way yeah. in order to have it, yeah. you know, work. If you grab it upside down, it's useless. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of like wide open fishing stuff, there's in terms of fighting big fish, you have a lot more kind of handle on it. You have a lot more torque to pull. To pull. Yeah. But um, on some reels, I kind of preferred the, the previous handle. But yeah. moving on. Um, <laughs> All the internals are exactly the same. So the drags, the free spool, the bearings, all that stuff remained exactly the same. The only difference in the parts is the the cam that um, you know you adjust the drag with. Mm-hmm. That's now plastic. It's a super high grade plastic. It's saved a little bit of weight, um, and that piece has never broken before. I've never had an issue with that breaking. The new so, one, the the new that, one, and the old one. It. I mean, that's just a piece that is not tested that mm-hmm. hard really so they saved a little bit of weight there because the handle's going to be heavier
1: mm-hmm.
3: but overall it's the same reel it's, and it's the same price too
2: one frame right there's no uh, left side plate that comes off with screws it's a single frame i believe so yes yeah that's a big upgrade <laughs> yes reduces the amount of uh corrosion potential right there mm-hmm. on the left side yep
1: yeah one of my favorite products I know came out, I think, a few years ago was the low profile fathoms. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do, you, do you fish those a lot? All the time. Yeah. Um, I fish the fathoms and the squalls. Oh, um, yeah. The
3: squalls, they are both, you know, quote, the lower end m- version, but for my kind of testing, they've been just as good. They've been performing extremely well. Are they the um, same,
1: like more or less the same or whatnot, or they just are, different parts? They're
3: more or less the same. They have the same drag. I think mm-hmm. the Fathom has one or two more bearings in it, which make it a little bit smoother. Mm. Um, but the freeze pools are going to be the same. The cast control is different. That's going to be the biggest thing is that the Fathom has two types of cast control. It has a, a centrifugal and a magnetic thing, mm-hmm. which, which helps you kind of really fine-tune how you want to cast. The Squall only has one. Um, you know, Once you work in your reel, though, it, they both work great. Um, the 200, the 300, and the 400 size, um, depending on where you're fishing, I've used all of them. Have been really solid. Mm. Um, the 400 size I was even using for the Dorado stuff this year. You know, because you don't oh, need yeah. real heavy oh, tests. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I mean, 20, 25 pound. It was great.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's a great reel. Mm-hmm. It's a great all around reel for a lot of things. I mean, people are starting to use the uh, low profiles for better, bigger, better things that they shouldn't <laughs> be doing with kevin yeah. yeah i know <laughs> 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 what's the biggest when they make the biggest um, low profile
3: a 400 right now but i think a 500 is in production don't quote no. oh yeah i don't i would hope so because there's a market for it
1: yeah yeah that's for cool sure. you see some other reels in the market going into a 500 level and mm-hmm. they're badass mm-hmm. give, that's the, cool. give the tranks a run for their money that's what i'm saying oh you mentioned it darren <laughs> Oh um. dang!
2: I thought we were Switzerland. Is that right? (laughs) We are Switzerland. (laughs)
1: Um, Throughout the year, I know we we talked about the Penn University trips and all that, but Penn also sponsors some trips. I think throughout the year Mm now. Yeah, so um, they do this
3: great thing. They link up with a CCA and they basically just fundraise a trip. So they'll pay for the whole charter. They said this is on us um you charge you guys this is a fundraiser all the proceeds go to the cca they'll send a guy out you know i was lucky enough to be the pen rep on a couple of these trips oh, yeah. and it was so much fun um we did a dana point um calico bass trip which actually turned out that to was be cool excellent we yeah. were fishing super close into the boilers <laughs> we went north to um, yeah. laguna beach i had never i rarely fish out of dana point but mm-hmm. we went north to laguna beach and we anchored up like 20 feet from wow. these boilers yeah. That's like cool. in the the you know bright blue white water and we were casting into there and it was like lights out for like a couple hours it was mm-hmm. really fun thank nice. you mr woolly yeah right <laughs> and then um
1: we did the uh the cca shootout too that was the two yeah two day oh shootout, yeah the, so, was the SoCal charter challenge uh-huh that, that was, was cool really yeah. darren i think you were on nate's boat too yes mm-hmm.
0: we were we were on that together we were also on the uh Stardust, the, the yeah, yeah Stardust together, yep, mm.
3: yeah. So all that stuff is really fun. Oh I'm, my glad gosh, to do it,
1: yeah. How was SoCal Charter Challenge for you?
3: It was good. It was an yeah. interesting trip. We had <laughs> we had kind of tough conditions. Yeah. Um, the water had turned like the day that we left, mm. so we had decent weather. We didn't have great weather behind the island, but um, the fish were not cooperating. Yeah. So I think we made a call to <laughs> yes, go <we> did. south. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly. On par with the rules, but uh, we wanted to catch some fish, um, so we yeah. went way south and we just we just put a hurting on those little tiny um, that, yellowfin.
1: That's what I heard. That's what I heard. It seemed it was like a good, good
3: trip, though. It was a great time. Yeah, yeah. really yeah. good time. Yeah,
1: good yeah you guys just got a clean clean house over there too. Once you guys made that move south. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Which is good. It's good. I've I'm, I've got no problem with you guys catching fish. <laughs> So that that was cool, uh, but the Santa Barbara trip—I know Darren was on it, Davey Brown was on it too, and all that—that yep. uh, that was a good trip too for rockfish. Up Absolutely, north. that was my first time on the Stardust.
3: Oh, really? Um, it, I had heard about the boat for years and years and years. They're like great one the, boat, one of the number one rock fishing boats on yep. the coast here. Um, I was really hoping to get out to Santa Rosa. I think the weather again is so iffy up there. Like, oh. if I were to you know advise anyone if I'm trying to go up there catching big rockfish, look at the weather. Yeah. You want to go on a flat weather day because that determines where you're going to fish and the quality you're fishing. And yeah. how
0: deep you're going to fish. Mm-hmm.
3: We still caught really <laughs> nice rockfish. Yeah. We, we fished local. We fished basically just outside of Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and still um, in deep, first off, like or five, 600 feet. Oh, we, I, we I remember that. Yeah, that's picaccios. what I'm saying. It's, yeah. It was
1: deep. It was super deep. Yeah, I, w- I think the first drop was like, Darn near 600 feet or something, yeah, <laughs> it was crazy.
2: Uh, yeah. and then they get this weird phenomena every now and then of catching black cod, which they did this year. Did you see that? <laughs> that's
3: gonna become a new thing. Though. I heard about that. Did um, you hear about that? The regulations are changing, they want you to catch black cod now.
2: Well, that's yeah, with the deep, deep stuff, but I'm mm-hmm. talking this was in reg within the regs and the depth that we're talking this last year. Really, they had a uh, a two week span. The stardust had a two week span of catching black cod in under 1600 feet. Wow, Rare. that's interesting. You didn't see that? No. That no, was uh, April. April? Yeah, I think so. April. Mm-hmm. I, saw last some, year. I
3: saw a random picture of a stable fish on their, yep. on their Insta. Same a thing. Back. Yeah. It's the
2: same animal. Mm. Yeah, But um, crazy. you know. And they weren't terribly bad size. They, I mean, they're all small anyways, but they were pretty good. They're supposed to be delicious. They're and amazing. Have you never I mean,
3: eaten it before? No. Oh, my God. There's a commercial market for them, right? They'll yeah. be like trap oh, yeah. them or
2: something. Long line, you yeah. know, all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, yeah it's amazing mm. fish to eat. There's a huge market for it. And if um, they call it butterfish. Uh, in, the, in in Japanese uh, culture, they basically um, make it very plain. They just steam it, and then they put unagi or, like, um, eel sauce over it. And, man, it's good. I'm telling you, it's good. Is it part of the cod family? It's a cod.
3: Okay, that's what I thought. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it's not a yeah. rockfish.
2: It's just a black-looking, like, cod. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, a, it's, that's the best way to explain it. It tastes really good, though.
3: Oh, I gotta
2: try I it. Well, you might catch it next year. Right? You're gonna <laughs> fish 1,200 feet. I they don't sure want I to. If I do, I'm gonna have an electric <laughs> reel. But Chris, can you give us the breakdown of what that is? What the rigs look like? Do uh, you have for the next whole thing? Year?
1: Yeah. Let, let me pull it up real quick. So before I screw things but, up, because well, I know now it's wait this a huge... minute when you say when you're saying next year, do you mean this year? Yeah. 23? yeah 20, 23? I guess that's true. Year. Yeah. Twenty twenty three. But as far as the new regs go, I know they're a little bit more complicated, and something just popped up on my screen pertaining yeah. to that. So oh. They're a little bit more. Um, what's the word? Obviously, rock fishing traditionally has always been not complicated, but you always started on March first, um, at least in the south region, region um, just south of Point Conception. Now we're going to switch over to April first, so we got uh, one less month. Uh, but then, along with that, we have the uh, the April first opener, which we already said. I actually just pulled up the um, the official. Uh, I'm sorry, the official. Um, Dog from DFW. Yeah. So Nearshore Rockfish closed January 1st to March 31st. Uh, it opens April 1st to September 15th. Rockfish may be taken at what well, says any depth, but I don't think that's
3: weird. I think that's the new rule. I think they're going to allow you at any depth, but they're going to make the season no Shorter. more than five and a half months. You're right. Okay. You're right. At any okay. point in the
1: state. Yeah. So April 1st, September 15th. Look, I'm, I'm
2: glad that
3: Nate's here today. I'm
2: calling out Chris, yeah.
1: man. I know. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm stupid, but <laughs> you're looking like it right now. I know. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> and then it closes back September 16th to December 31st. That's what it says here for Nearshore Rockfish.
2: Okay. So everything outside Nearshore is open. All year round?
1: All other rockfish, shelf rockfish. So Bocotch, Canary, Chili Pepper, Dusky Flack. Black Blackgill's
3: Black <laughs> the exception. Really? You can't yes. fish from? They, they want you to tar- target Black Hill. Ooh. Yes. So
1: closed at, uh, January 1st to March 31st. April 1st to April, I'm sorry, September 15th may be taken. September 16th to December 31st. Take is prohibited shoreward of the 50 fathom rockfish conservation area boundary line. So that's where the 50 fathom rule comes into play. So September 16th to December 31st is when you have to be uh, fishing deeper, fishing deeper. Correct. Then 50 fathoms.
2: Yes. Okay. So the rockfish uh, season is still open from April 1st all the way through December 31st for anything deeper than 50 fathoms. Correct. All For that entire span of time. Correct. But it, you can't fish shoreward of 50 from April 1st through May 31st.
1: From, according to this...
2: Or January 1st through, through May
1: 31st. According to this, you can fish near shore between April 1st and September 15th.
2: Right, okay. okay, okay.
1: But you can't, but it closes back up September 16th to December 31st. But if you want to go deeper than 300 feet... It's open pretty much from April 1st to December 31st.
3: So yeah. everything everything's still
1: closed January, February, March. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's that's
3: yeah. It's honestly, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, but what I've also seen is that it varies where you are in the state. Mm. Correct. So, yeah. like the Southern California this region is just different southern. than the than the Central California, which is different than the Northern California. Right.
1: So there are different districts. So I think there's like four or five or something. This is yeah. just for the Southern region from Point Conception, conception down. to to the border. Yeah. Um. All year round, or yeah, open year round. No depth limit. No surprise. Sculpin. Leopard sharks, sand dabs. What about the
2: central and the north? How much different is it? Uh, is it massively different? I'll have it's to It's just look timing. That. I think oh, it's okay. within a month or two. Yeah, okay. I think um, sooner
1: or later. Exactly. exactly. Okay, I got you. Later.
2: Yeah. So, someone, where can they find that information right now?
1: So, I'm going to post this actually on the CCA website. So, if you go on the CCA it will be there by the time this podcast gets there. Wonderful. Yep. Um, actually, I have the central one too. So, central is. It looks like it's more or less the same, except they start May first instead of April first. Exactly. Which that that's that sucks. N- well, that's yeah, no different. Does. They they were when we were starting in March, they were starting in April, so it's always it's always one month following.
2: Yeah, but they've lost. Um, I mean, anything shallower than fifty fathoms, they're losing. Another month plus uh, actually, since September 16th, so well, that's okay. like almost three and a half months. So they're different, uh, adi- additionally to what they had before. So they're only fishing inshore, what four and a half months is that right? Yeah, exactly.
3: So it's the season's gonna be the same, it's just that um, the, the areas that they're gonna be able to fish are gonna be wildly different. Well, so, the
2: season's gaining. Another month of closure for the central guys. Yes. Which for the sucks. central guys.
3: And then I think for the northern guys, they lose two months. I believe oh. it starts in July. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that right?
1: Yeah. Oh, my
3: God. What? Yeah. Now, However, so the northern guys are, are getting restricted the most, for sure.
1: For what it's worth, they get an extra two weeks in near shore because their near shore um, limit closes October 1st. And what a consolation. I know. Just have to throw that out. And the other thing that I noticed in there
3: was that the sheephead limit had changed. Oh yeah. So it was five, it then got reduced to two. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That we knew clear. that was coming. Which I think that I like that. would be a good thing for the I like it too. beef man. I, I like mean, it too. Yeah. They, they'll make bigger ones. They'll make bigger ones yep. and they eat the urchins and stuff, which help the kelp.
2: Yes, I'm with you hundred percent on that.
3: Yes. Another thing big that deal. I, I did not realize this, but California urchin is one of the like highest quality uni urchins in the world. Yeah. Like, why can't we start collecting all of these things to get them out of here? I have a perfect example. Uh, actually, I have, an, I, have a, I have a great explanation for why. why, why I'm glad you brought
0: that up.
2: <laughs> have you ever tried to do it? No. Okay, let me tell you what it's like. All What's right? it like? You have to spend an average of four and a half hour a day collecting urchins underwater. You have to put Vaseline all over your body, slip into a seven mil dry suit. Then you have to have a hookah, a hookah not a tank, to get down there with a compressor to be able to breathe. You have to have that on a boat. okay Okay? so for someone to have a specialized boat to get the license to have the equipment to do this and then sit down there for four and a half hours risking your life potentially drowning in case your hookah gets pulled out or whatever it is Mm
3: -hmm.
2: it's a very challenging thing and that's why it's very expensive yeah there was a guy in la jolla that used to do it he died no kidding he had a heart attack underwater but he was all by himself he did it for so many years and he made a lot of money but It is very hard to do, and that's, so, that's I mean why they're an invasive species too is because nobody can get them. Interesting. Right. And the only right now, literally one of the biggest things right now is that we haven't had a um, good population of something that eats urchin aside from sheephead to counteract it and eat the base the base of the kelp. And if anyone understands how kelp grows, it's very simple. It has one root. It has one stem and the yep. stem is tiny. Yeah. You can take a pencil and it's basically the width of the pencil. It's <laughs> nearly like, it's that small at the bottom. Yeah. And the urchin loves to eat it. They just eat it and it goes right up and it's done. Then you got kelp patties eventually. So yeah, I hope that the, sh- the sheephead are going to hammer them.
3: Yeah. Or we can find some easier way to harvest them. Mm-hmm. Cause, I mean, I think there's a market there for them. I mean, at least in, in seafood and, in, in sushi markets, if you could get this super ultra high-grade uni, um, I think people will pay the price. It, it It's know. hard. It's hard. It sounds much harder than I originally thought. It's a difficult task. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Well, also, I thought you were going to bring this one up. So the purple urchin has been often talked about, about how and they're basically, if you ever go down, uh, down below, they're all over the place, mm-hmm. all that. And they're right. actually decimating the kelp right. and all that. The problem is all of those purple urchins are in the MPAs. And the issue with the MPAs is not only you can't fish in them, but no one could go in them to actually do that, which is kind of a... that That's like following the rules of the MPA network where if, you know, because you locked us out, you locked everyone, everyone so, out.
0: So what you're saying is there's proof that closures don't work.
1: Well... This, there's, an <laughs> there's, there's an imbalance. There's an imbalance. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And because we, we are still able to interact with outside of the the um, MPAs and we are able to bring some sort of balance that was established through the time that we've been fishing out there, right? Mm-hmm. But now that that's inverted, there's other species that are going to love us not being around, right? Right. And clearly, one of these is an example of that. I also thought purple urchin wasn't very lucrative compared to red.
1: I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. It was just an example. Um, I know this, uh, rockfish, uh, discussion just totally threw me off for the whole episode. So I apologize. <laughs>
2: well, we have Nate Thanks, here. Kevin. He's the real I expert know. on this. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess So,
3: so groundfish expert.
1: Yeah. One thing that I do want to recognize is Penn because they did sponsor those two trips last year. So thank you, Penn. Appreciate uh, the support of CCA and, and all the other CCA chapters here. Um, like Nate said, they picked up the tabs for those two charters. We were yeah. able to Get not only get memberships, but also some fundraising too. Totally. It was awesome. And they're a fun time. We get to time. go uh, we get to go fish with Nate here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we do that this year. That's uh that would be pretty cool. I would love to. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah try to so get it.
2: So, so what's up. the future with you and Penn? What are you gonna what's gonna happen? Yeah. What what is gonna happen in your future in general, not just Penn? Yeah, what are you gonna so,
3: do? um I'm working that out right now, actually. Um, I graduated from Cal State San Marcos last year. Nice, last nice. congratulations, congratulations. 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 Thank you very much. Um, I was a literature and writing degree, uh, or major, so I was okay. writing a whole bunch. Through. I was English. Really? Yeah. yeah liberal arts. But, um, you know, I've been trying to find something to do with it, you know, mm-hmm. outside of teaching ninth grade English.
1: Oh. And um,
3: <laughs> and it's it's coming together, and yeah. I'm really happy it is. I've started working with Bloody Decks, um, or BD Outdoors now, um, writing articles, you know, long-range-based, kind of offshore-based articles. Nice. Um, I just did one, I did one on the ridge, kind of going over what the ridge is, how to fish it, what you would expect there. Um, and then another one's coming out pretty soon on how to prepare for a longer trip. So if you're trying to go on a three to six day trip and you've never really done that before, I'm just mm-hmm. going to give you like a checklist of this is all the personal gear. This is all the tackle that I use. Um, just to kind of break it down and show you it's really not as difficult or overwhelming as you might mm-hmm. think. It's, it's all the same fishing. Mm-hmm. You just get to go to a lot cooler places.
1: Yeah. Um, that goes all the way from like tackle and all the way down to like, how many towels should I bring or whatnot? Exactly.
3: So it's all the personal gear. It's, you know, for, I, I cover the tackle, but I think I'm going to do a follow up um, article on the exact setups, you know, like my eight setups and why I bring each one. Mm-hmm. But the first one is really going over your personal gear. Um, what to expect on the boat, kind of what's going on there and, and kind of how to prepare yourself for, for going out there and fishing for eight days in a row or however many days. That's
0: fantastic. Yeah. You, you need to write a book on that. Yeah, right. It's an, there's it's there's one out there, Yeah, but, but we need an update.
3: Yeah, <laughs> what book is that?
1: The uh, one, I forget the title, but it's called or it's by our good friend Creaky Tiki, Dennis Grote. And I'm I think kidding. it's like the, the Long Range Guide to Fishing or something. What? I would love to see this. No kidding. Yeah. Holy smokes. Well, Get it's a really good guide. It's
3: got a lot of visuals oh, yeah. in it, too. Creaky Tiki. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Sick. You you take it? I would um, love to. Thank you. When... Okay. So let me ask you this with you writing articles about long range specifically and everything. Yeah. I think, you know, from, I've never really been on a long range trip, but it kind of, as an outsider looking in, it looks like long range fishing has certainly changed Mm. between now and when it was maybe not even 10 years ago. Ten You're years ago. You're totally right. Um, how do you, how does one write like that? Because yeah. obviously there's two different time periods, and you have absolutely no idea, almost no boat knows what they're going to do next week as opposed to today.
3: Yeah. Um, it's you know, kind of prepping yourself for everything, and it's not bringing the kitchen sink, but it's prioritizing exactly what you need and exactly what right. you could use. Because you see a lot of that on
0: some of these trips. People bring... They bring the kitchen sink. They, they bring everything. And they I can don't only need to. imagine
3: on the yeah. long range, too. It's yeah. insane. These guys have three tackle boxes on like, Are you that guy,
1: Nate? Do <laughs> no. you bring everything? No.
3: <laughs> no, I've gotten my stuff down pretty tight. Yeah. Know? I've got one box, um, and I, I have six trays, and I went over each each tray basically in my article, kind of going through stickers, through hooks, light jigs, heavy jigs, all the stuff that I bring. Mm-hmm. And you take that with a grain of salt. Either you take more than that. If you want to experiment and you want to do more of that, that's totally fine. Right. If you're some purist and you want to just take one box of hooks, you'll do just fine. Yeah. You know, I was on a six-day trip when, when a guy had two boxes,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: that's all he brought. He had a box of hooks, he had a box of sinkers, and he had three grots. Hmm. He had a 20, a 40, and an 80. And wow. he did fantastic. He fly-lined for six days. He caught his limited tuna. He got yellowtail. All he used was bait. Wow. And he had a great time. Well, so it just goes to show you don't really need to bring everything on these long trips. With as much stuff as they
0: also have on the boat themselves for mm-hmm. you to use, there, there's exactly. no reason
3: to to bring everything in your arsenal. And going back to the whole Penn University thing. Right. Say you're going in new into the industry. You don't want to buy a $1,000 flatfall setup. Go on one of these trips. You know, It's the same price as any other, other of the other trips, but yep. you get all of these demo gear that you can use for the whole trip.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you are you more of a bait guy or a jig guy?
3: Both depends uh-huh. on the setup. Um, I I think there's an art form to bait fishing. Mm-hmm. Like it's very. It seems super easy. You pick a bait, you throw it out there, you wait for a bite. But there's little micro things you can change, like what kind of hook, where do you hook your bait, all this kind of stuff. Yep. Um, you know, like I did a couple of trips to Guadeloupe, and that was an amazing experience. Lucky, but yeah. <laughs> <right>? I <laughs> wish me wish. Again. Um, I think the last time I was there it was twenty eighteen I believe. Speaking of which, the last year, I think. Yeah. Did you hear the update? No. What's the update? I've been waiting. Closed
2: inevitably. No.
3: Really? Done. Yeah. Are you serious? Oh yes. Done?
2: Done. Fuck. Inevitably. We don't know when they will be reopened. What a shame. Crazy, huh?
0: My first long range trip was to Guadalupe. It's ins- it's the craziest.
3: Dude, place the sharks been. over there were huge. What <laughs> what made it what made it special? You know, I it's it's another island, right? And it just looks like another island, but it is unlike any other island on the coast that I've been to. First off, it's way offshore, yeah. and it seems like it has its own climate around the island. It's weird, like hundred miles
2: away from Cedros. Yeah,
3: in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and you go out there. And it's, it's a nice bluebird day. And then also when you approach the island and there's these big swirling clouds, you know, <laughs> and you enter and it's like, yeah. whoa. And there's these pine trees on top of the ridges and stuff. Like there's a Guadalupe pine. Wow. And, and on the whole island is just lined by these jagged cliffs going straight down in the ocean. It's just, a, it seems like Jurassic Park almost. You know, yeah. there's, there's this big rock on the south end um, called Tuna Rock. It's like probably almost a thousand feet tall. It's this huge sea stack just going straight up into the the sea did you guys kill and the yellow fin over there no actually we really? were by a place called battleship so it was like this big formation that yeah. kind of looks like the ship of a bow yeah um and um we it's it's an interesting style of fishing because you anchor up and you're on anchor for sometimes like multiple days in the same spot and you just chump and you're just continually throwing chump and you're just fishing 14 16 hours a day and you just try to figure out what the fish are doing. The fish are constantly popping and, and like boiling all around the boat, mm-hmm. but you got to figure out what you got to do to like get them to the bite because it's hard. Um like 5 or 6 bites a day is, is a good day. Really? Yeah. It's it's scratchy fishing. I was there twice and we fished 3 days in a row both times. It was never wide open. Really? It's no. Oh, it when was I, never when wide I open. went it was wide open. Fuck. I, wide <laughs> o- it was, it, it, was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was hard. It sounds like yeah. just a typical What size fish? It was like 50 to 100-pound yellowfin tuna.
2: Yeah, with white with, sharks around. With
3: white sharks around. And yep. they wouldn't bite anything bigger than 50-pound test. So Wow. it's, <laughs> I, it's like I, I viewed it as like almost like the World Series of fly lining. Like everything that you learn up <laughs> here, you know, like all the kind of tips and tricks you learn are kind of put to the test at Guadalupe. Because mm. not only do you have this fish that is bigger than the gear that you're you know able to use, but you've got the bottom. You've got That's kelp, probably. you've got sharks, you've got yeah, and the fish are gorgeous. They're they're these home guard yellows that are there all year long, right? Yeah,
2: and they're it's. You're talking about yellowtail. Yellow, That's our
3: yellow fin, and okay. but there's also yellowtail yeah. there. That yeah, that the drop loop. The yellowtail are huge over there. They're massive. They're big. Did you get any? Did you do that? Um, you know what? We did not so much success. It's mm. been a few years since the yellowtail fishing has really gone off, um, but they're mixed in with the tuna fishing. Like you're anchored and you're just going to be, you know, one guy pins on a giant mackerel and sends it out and he gets like a 45 pound yellowtail. Like hmm. the average size there is 30 to 50 pounds. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then there's some giants. And then
3: some 93 80, pounders. 90, 100 Yeah. Pounders. yeah. Crazy. So yeah. it's, it's a very, very unique place, but it's, everything is against you, which to me, including the Mexican <laughs> government. Yeah. right. Even the regs are against you. But yeah,
0: when we were there, we got pushed away. No kidding. Yeah. They came to the boat and pushed us away. So you don't leave. We're going to call the Mexican Navy. Yada yada.
1: Pushed and away by who?
0: By who? Um, scientists on the the shark researchers. It, they were scientists from the island. It must have been the shark researchers. Mm-hmm. But we had all the proper permits, and we ended up. They made phone calls, whatever. but we ended up fishing the island the whole time. Mm. And it's wild. I had caught the biggest calico bass that I've ever caught <laughs> until I had gone to Cedros. How big? They were averaging six and a half, seven pounds. No yep. kidding. I probably like, untouched. Can you had them.
3: a panga operation on Guadalupe like you did on Cedros? Oh my gosh, it would be insane.
0: Can't keep them over there either.
2: No, it's
3: not on their uh, yeah. permits. It's yellowtail and yellowfin only. Yeah,
2: yeah. so they probably just get giant. There's world records. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah,
3: that island is insane. Like the halibut or the the inshore oh, fishing God. there. My God, I can only really imagine.
2: Did you guys, but, but that's not on the permit, so you couldn't do that. You no, can you, you didn't get stuff?
3: any closer to the island than probably like a couple hundred yards. But wow. I mean, you're it's like you're fishing sea bass or yellowtail along uh San Clemente, like you're in the lee, you're in flat water, yeah. But it's 100 pound tuna around the boat. That's awesome, it's amazing. I
2: actually had some fishing like that this year at San really? Clemente on the lee side. Oh, shit. Hmm. that's cool, bluefin
3: right against the island. Like I'll that. show you some video, yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. See, it's really, really cool, and it's such a unique. Fishing experience on the coast here because no other island is like that. I, I think that a lot of the fish, if things don't change with these cyclones
2: and this stuff happening in the what are they calling it? the weather stream or the river stream something yeah. uh, atmospheric river the atmospheric river that's it. Dang, we got to yeah, to have to switch out for me, man. This guy knows everything. <laughs> um, yeah, but so like that might change things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll be bad or good. I don't know what's going to happen, but oh, yeah. it's going to change things. You asked, someone asked about what happens on rainy years. That was me. Okay. I've had experiences like around 2010, 2012, where the rain was really here and the squid fishing, the beds, was off the chain. So mm. I expect something that to come back. There's,
1: someone there's I, I some heard worries. about that before. Like something where, I can't remember who it was, but they're seeing the majority of the squid still pop up right now or will be in the next couple months or whatever. They Haven't gone away, and that's basically means we're gonna have an epic spring or something like that, or epic sea bass uh season. I bet that's what I heard.
2: Last time this squid was around, it was some gnarly stuff, man. That's what I grew up with when I was your age. It was <laughs> nuts. <laughs> there's,
1: there's been some, that not been weird to say, but
3: there's been some rumors of squid beds all up and down the coast from La Jolla to yeah. Carlsbad to I, all I don't, I, I don't doubt
1: it. Yeah, I heard the same thing well out of all of the opportunities because you do almost every kind of fishing nate yeah out of all of them which we i know we'll we'll talk about a little bit later your epic swordfish last year Hmm. yeah
3: what
1: what is your favorite kind of fishing
2: gosh better not be swordfish
3: i've (laughs) thought about (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely not but um it, it completely depends on kind of my my state of mind i think the most enjoyable kind of fishing I've ever done would be surface iron fishing for yellowtail mm, okay. and calico fishing right against the rocks. That's acceptable. But, you know, I...
1: <laughs> yeah, We're in good
3: company. But, um, I love all kinds of fishing. What I about like, foamer uh, fishing? Foamer fishing is real. I haven't done enough of it. But honestly, oh. I find foamer fishing extremely frustrating. Really? Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's... Foam is home. Uh, because I've never done well. In oh, the my God. Oh. Never. Hey, I'm I, taking you this year, sir. Yes. Okay. <laughs> if it's
2: here for sure... Yeah. We'll it's, take you. <laughs> I've only stuck out basically.
3: It's been really tough, but I love kind of going into new areas of fishing that I haven't really explored before, and figuring out, at least to a certain point, like what this is about, and can I do this myself? Mm. And, you know, like the big bluefin this year with Mad Max was frustrating at first because I wasn't getting any, but by the end of the year I had them down, and it was super cool to get big fish on these plugs on fast. a fairly consistent basis and fast mm. like that. And then swordfish was a whole thing. You know, I started deep dropping, which was a couple of, even last year it was something i never thought i would do it was like a world away like that was like the pinnacle of socal sword fishing mm. and then all of a sudden i just had this guy that wanted me to go joe I going all the time oh to yeah the daily yeah
2: oh i know i've been grinding on that there's manual pens
3: no electric reels you've been out there with them of course oh yeah dude look at my Straight right forearm dude yeah <laughs> hand crank both both yes. tip and the billy. thank god he's
2: got an, an 80 finally Jesus. but like it man was rough. it was rough with the 50s for a while there with him
3: you earned it are
1: you, you know? talking about you the 50 it. the 50 wides the the, the, the internationals, internationals. he was using yeah
3: he doesn't have the hookers or anything he has this straight just regular oh man man 50 up wide. dude man, man up and you gotta wind <laughs> it up a thousand feet oh but, my hey. and then the buoy too yeah <laughs> so <laughs> that's a whole other thing you know It it feels like a completely other aspect of fishing than anything else I've done though. Yeah. The whole deep drop thing is wild.
1: I mean, what, what kind of makes you, well, I mean, is it intriguing to you to like basically go into a different area or even with a new species or whatever and just try and just go by yourself and just figure it out. Is that a thrill for you?
3: It's both. Yeah. It's doing all this online research and and Mm -hmm. figuring out trial and trial and error. Mm -hmm. Um, and, yeah, a lot of just kind of going out there by myself. I love fishing by myself, honestly. Yeah. It's it's like it's very relaxing and peaceful for me, mm-hmm. and especially doing something new. Like yeah. in in the past couple of months, I've been going trout fishing because nothing else has been really biting. But it's been super fun, and figuring out how to catch pretty good-sized fish on two-pound test mm. is completely different. Yes, it is. And, um, and I got a good one. I got an eight-and-a-half-pound trout. At I saw that. I was wow. stoked. Yeah, and it was just like... Randomly like that, but you got to It's angling, and and every kind of angling kind of works into each other. Mm-hmm. And if if you can learn how to, be have the patience to you know wait for a swordfish for days and days on end, then maybe you can figure out sea bass fishing. And then from there you can figure <laughs> out. Or if you go across the world, you want to catch a, I don't know, like a, a rooster fish or or a GT or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can take this the stuff you learn from popper fishing and foamers and surface iron fishing for yellowtail and apply that to this completely different fishery. And I'm sure you'll do just fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And well, I think that's, I get a kick out of that is being I, able to kind of be multifaceted like that.
2: I have a theory that California breeds some of the best fishermen in the world from Dean Rojas to, um, that's bass angler, mm-hmm. um, Gary Klein. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, Skeet Reese. Yeah. There's a lot of really great anglers that have come out from this area. That's just bass guys we're right, talking right there. Aside from that, you know, there's an endless amount of tuna guys that have gone all across the world after they've built their foundation here. And um, it's just a theory of mine that we have, we're have. we posed with really tough conditions a lot, and you have to learn to adapt. Like we, like you're saying, you have to, when you learn one fish or you learn something really well, you could probably apply it to others.
3: Absolutely. And I think we're unique in that sense and, um, and that – our freshwater fishing is not easy no. here. It is really difficult, yeah. and it's very technique based and it's very finesse based. And once you understand that, going into the saltwater world, you're going to be, uh, you know, ten steps ahead. And mm-hmm. then just kind of applying that to your to your saltwater fishing. Like I, I did the trip last time. I was on the Vagabond. I was with Ish Monroe, who is a big bass. Really? Yeah. He was on the boat. Oh, he loves tuna fishing, <laughs> and and he's phenomenal at it. Was this a Penn University deal? No, no. That was this was one of the ones that I did not do. I wanted to go down on an eight day trip um, in the in the springtime. It was an uh, open party or it was a private? This was an open party. Was he was pre- on an open party. This was a Cal Star trip. Yeah, yeah he does it every year? But he does, really? a, he does like two or three trips on the bag one every year. He's a big offshore. Guy. He goes with his wife and they they kill it.
2: Well, he has a big huh. boat. He's got a lingcod. Like he does a lot of lingcod yeah, fishing. You tell I me mean, about
3: that. He's he's based in Northern California. Yeah. So he does a whole bunch of lingcod fishing. He fishes the Delta and Clear Lake all the time, but. Um, at least two or three times a year he comes down to fish San Diego with Mike. And yeah. it's, it's it's rad. He's he's a great guy. We had all these stories about going to Japan and like apparently there's a tackle shop on like every street corner in Japan. And everyone no specializes in something different. Like you'll go to a largemouth shop and then across the street is a vertical rocks okay. He has a vertical jigging shop yeah. and then there's a bluefin shop, and mm-hmm. then there's like all this kind of like fishing is insane in Japan. But have you been? No. No, I want to. I wanted I to. But, but Ish, though, I mean, he is, he is like a master at adapting to different conditions. And I think that is what makes him a good professional angler, is that you've got to be on Lake Chickamauga or whatever one day, and the next week you're in California, and you've got to catch the same fish, but it's in a wildly, wildly different condition. Yep. Mm-hmm. And offshore, he applies that same sort of you know ideology, where if he sees you know, the stuff moving, people are getting bit on jigs now, he's going to switch, or he's going to do these different things. And he did extremely well.
1: Hmm, it was cool. Nice. Have you been able to travel to different, maybe not different parts of the world, or maybe th- maybe that so, but different states and apply our techniques to other fisheries? Not yet. That not is something
3: I really want to do in the next couple of years. You should try Arizona first. I do. Uh, I think either Arizona or Nevada. I want to catch a big striper. out uh, in, Nevada there. first then. Nevada first?
2: Yeah. yeah. Dude, uh, I mean, I would have told you Havasu. I'm not really sure how it is right now. Um, mead was pretty okay. It was pretty cool. Mead was really interesting. I went there um, before they went really far down. The smallmouth fishing over there that's is something. wow, dude! I've never caught a smallmouth. Three pounders is the average over there, and they're eating well. Oh, that's awesome! And you can see them. That's nice.
0: Yeah, I think the four of us need to figure out how to do the striper derby. Then, uh, yeah, uh, is boat? that still happening? Oh, your no. boat, my boat. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. yeah, yeah, the the one that half a suit. Yeah, is it still happening? Yeah. Okay. Cool.
2: Right on. Nice. I said we do it. Troll some plugs. Yeah, let's do it. Was cool. there a minimum or maximum size boat you can you can use in that? <laughs> <laughs> How about a twenty five foot skipjack? Who's pulling it out there? Yeah. Uh, me. I'll have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's a, what's one fish you you really want to catch bad? It could be it's a, a species and a size,
3: whatever. Like, what's the deal? What, what do you want to catch real bad? Um, really, really bad. One. Probably a rooster fish. Oh yeah, That's very high on my list. I don't know why they are just aesthetically they Heck look insane, yeah. man. And it's just like the way they eat we, and like the we fight, tried this everything year. really down on the it just wasn't happening. No, it's the wrong uh, time of the year. Can yeah. I, yeah, can I tell you where I would go? What's yours? I've been huh?
2: Panama. That's oh yeah! What I heard. Definitely, ditch, ditch everything you want to go and do to a place. No dig on the Paz or Rancho. Yeah, or even PV. PV is not a bad spot either, Puerto Varta. But Panama or Costa Rica, it's literally going to happen. I yeah. can vouch for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So How many did you get? On.
1: I didn't get any roosters because our guy wanted to go after the um, tuna stuff, the tuna and the dodos. Yeah. But I mean, I've I've only heard. And if we stuck it out there, we would have. I'm telling you, Nate. It's a big goal of mine: seventy pounders on
2: poppers. Jesus, kind of a regular thing. What? Wow. Mm-hmm. In the in the whitewash. What are you, so bragging? you fishing? What? Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I'll tell you. Do, do you mind me just kind of telling a story really quick? I, I promise I won't it. take over. I spent 11 days there.
1: All right, it's too really? long.
2: <laughs> I spent, the so I was lucky enough when I first worked for Hobie. I worked yeah. there for nine and a half years. Um, my first year, my boss, Morgan Prominence, at the time, Uh, He didn't have a passport because he was a South African. He didn't get the passport in time, so I was able to go in his place. It was for a Sport Fishing Magazine uh, article. Um, I was 23, 24, something like that. It was 2013 or 2012, I can't remember. I think 2013 anyways wow, you're old i know <laughs> <laughs> Damn, yeah. like reflecting back on this like back from our day <laughs> a decade ago <laughs> get almost Not retired sure. yeah um no so i i went there and we fished in um uh dang it uh so the place that's now really famous because of um another co- operation down there uh, it's called kambutal
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um that's where uh oh god um, Adam Fisk has been catching his black marlin on kayaks. Okay. So that's the, yeah, Los Buzos. That's the place down there. It's the I've same, seen, same spot. That so imagine me, no yeah. one has yeah. ever been there. Okay. That's where we were at. Oh, okay. Never been there with kayaks. Okay. Ever. This guy is French man, um, his name is Pascal Artieta, and we went with him. And he uh, essentially, he said, we're going to fish this one place near my town for four days catching big roosters. And we're going to go up and try to catch tuna on the kayak and Kubera that are a hundred pounds and whatever else is going to be there.
3: We're like, okay, sure. On the, on the yak. Yes. On the kayak. Nice. So,
2: so we went down there, we fished this town that he was in and literally 70 pounders on like live blue runners, roosters. That was what we were introduced to. It was amazing. (laughs) That's on the beach. So imagine, Imagine seeing like twenty feet down the clearest water you ever seen, right? And then you don't know where the roosters are, but they're around, and you're just trolling, and all of a sudden you get picked up, like it's just boom, you're on.
3: Really? So you're yes. on a boat, but you're trolling a kayak. Year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on a yeah. kayak, Jesus. And then you're how far off the beach though? I, I don't mean, know, fifty feet. That's it. Oh my god! Yeah.
2: Oh, so you could cast to them from the beach. Well, you no, because you never see them.
3: Oh, they're really they're camouflaged cruising. well.
2: They don't. They didn't come up and do the thing like they do in Rancho. Because the oh, reason why they that do in Rancho is because there's the mullet come up. Okay, and so they're focused on the mullet. But yeah. there's not that. There's a lot of food over there in, in Panama. So four days of that. Whoa. Okay, then we go over to this place Cambutal, which is like a two hour drive through the forest to get to. Uh-huh. And then you launch in the. You put all the kayaks in the in the pongas. Right, and you go to this place that's a four-hour drive by Panga from Kambutal over to this spot, which is called the Wild Coast. Okay. We we pull up to this cove. It's literally nothing except for rock and rainforest. There's monkeys hollering every morning at Sounds you. Epic. There's vipers. Like you could die. Like Indeed. someone can get bit and you're not going to go to the hospital. Be so down. Yeah. Eleven. Okay. So seven days in the rainforest. Okay. Monkeys hollering every morning. Whatever. Tarantulas crawling on your back in the night, dude. It's wild stuff. Like tent camping. Like yes, what, what tent are you camping. Standing? Okay. Yeah. Pooping in a hole. Kind nice. of deal. A whole thing. I'm into it, dude. So yeah. Eating, eating. Like also, so, so, this is a wild trip. It was. We if we had a camera, this would be one of the best trips ever. I promise it would have been one of those crazy. It was, it was a moment.
1: So <laughs> clearly,
2: it was crazy. So I never told this. I actually haven't told a story ever on radio or anything. But um, so we're sitting there on the first day. Everyone's just like, we're going. Mm-hmm. It. We don't care. We had one Dropping. hour to fish. Yeah. We're like we're going. The first day. First day. Tuna, blind casting. Three quarters of a mile offshore. Big That's ones. That's insane. Fifty to hundred pounders. Really? Yes. Yes. And then the next day we did Kubera fishing and roosters. So we're fishing whitewash all the way out to like fishing these points. Yeah. So you're fishing, you know, a cast distance into the rocks and you're pulling the the popper and the stick baits away. And all of a sudden this red giant goldfish comes up. And it's a, you know, a 50 to a hundred pound Kubera Massive snap comes up and it's like looking at your popper, like, I'm going to kill you because <laughs> it hates the sound. Yeah. You're smashing the popper, like boom, boom. And making the biggest spray you can. So all while you're doing that, all of a sudden a rooster comes up, boom, and hits it, Man. beats the cuberas It's wild stuff. So Dude, we I did that for five days. Yeah, you you have, and honestly, the price is kind of rel- relative to like what, what you can do in Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's just a longer flight. Mm-hmm. But there's some operations down there, top notch. Anyone that's listening, if you really want a rooster, like I said, no dig on everyone else in Mexico, go to Panama, Costa Rica, you'll nail it.
3: You know, it's it also sounds like it depends on the kind of experience you want. If, if oh, you yeah. want to have an expedition, you yes, know, to go out there is. and catch a rooster... It sounds like that's the place for you. If you just want to go relax on the beach, do a snorkel session, you know, maybe get out and catch a rooster in the afternoon, it sounds like La Paz or one of these places is like a lot more accommodating for that, right? But that sounds like a trip I, I want to do.
1: So, like, what dates work with everyone else? I'm good for June. <laughs> <Let's,
3: laughs> I'm,
1: I'm just saying. A that. Penn
2: University, Costa Rica, Panama trip. Let's there's, go.
3: There's so much uh, potential with that for sure. Uh, I mean, in making videos, you know. Oh yeah. If you did a YouTube series on that alone, that would be incredible. Talk about your YouTube channel, really quick. Yeah, so I started one. Um, oh, nice. I, I've been, I've been, and it's real basic right now. But I've, um, just been. Filming all of my like a million subscribers and all that. (laughs) It's like basic and being like one camera on my chest. I'm just filming, catching stuff that works. But it's been really fun to. It's kind of been my new goal in this year is to not only just fish for myself, but start sharing the uh, the experiences and make it where it's fun to actually watch. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not just some stupid little unedited video. Um, It's 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 really fun to just kind of get into the editing thing, the whole kind of the advertising thing, and to see where I can go in fishing outside of actually just catching fish. Because I had all these goals in mind of, you know, I want to catch this and this and this and this and this. But where does that really get you? Like once I started achieving these goals, I want to catch a hundred pound tuna. I want to catch a swordfish. I want to catch that. (laughs) You do it, right? Mm -hmm. Then you record it. Then what? But if you didn't record it, then you got nothing. So you, you want have to be an old guy and
2: tell a story like that, <laughs> <Right.
3: But laughs> like you, I, or write about it? Yeah, but I'm I'm really kind of getting excited about um, catching a big fish, but having the entire process documented and then putting that into some sort of you know um, some sort of content that's is, that is fun for people to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the trout awesome. was on there, right? The trout was on there. Yeah, that was just a random thing. I didn't even realize that was going to happen.
2: Well, it's you, now you're gonna have to make sure that it happens. Oh, dude, yeah. every time <laughs>
3: videography
2: and fishing, man, you'd be surprised how they don't go hand in hand most of the time, right? It's crazy.
3: <laughs> that's good. So keep oh, it yeah. going. Thank you. It's about no, it's consistency. Been really exciting. It's that, about consistency. That's the biggest thing for
1: sure. Yeah. It's consistency.
2: Yeah, yep. it could be anything from a spotty all the way to a sword. That's so it. So it's, it's really cool that you're doing it. You should keep it going.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah yep well speaking of keeping it going we're going to keep this conversation going over at the doc talk podcast make sure to tune in there for part two of this conversation don't forget to follow us on instagram at cca california also to go visit us on our website at cca california.org kevin Darren, Nate, good talking with you guys today. how do we you. find
3: you nate um instagram nat geo 211 all right and That's where else favorite, in person <laughs> Where can we meet you in uh, person? Pacific Coast Bait and Tackle. I'm working there probably four or five days a week. Also, I will be at the Penn booth at the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show March 2nd, I mm-hmm. believe, when mm-hmm. it starts. Yep. I'll be there all days, all four days. Right on. All we'll awesome. see you, we'll you there.
1: there. Sweet. Excellent. We will see you guys next week. Take care.